Hello, welcome to Time in the Studio. I'm your host, Sarah Marie Miller, and thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited about the podcast to be back. I do have a little news regarding that. Uh, So I've decided I'm going to switch to releasing the podcast about every two weeks. I was listening to another podcast, Medicine Stories. Many of you may be familiar, really fantastic podcast. And the host, Amber, was talking about rose medicine and just the softness and the power of connecting with the rose. And I, I don't know, I just found something really beautiful in that episode and giving space for oneself to do what you need to do. And so I love doing the podcast, but you know, I can spend 10 hours a week easily just editing out ums and whatnot. So I just realized I want to focus a little more on creating my own work and figuring out what it, what I want to do with my business and, uh, focusing more on connecting with guests more, connecting with listeners more, and building that community in a stronger way, and having more compassion for myself as I'm on a healing journey, and just, yeah, trying to get better, and I just need a little more time and space to be outside and hang out with the plants, and just, yeah, to do all the things that I love doing, cooking and whatnot. So yeah, I've decided I'm going to switch I can be very all or nothing where it's like on or off, but I'm just going to give myself a little space and switch to doing the podcast every two weeks. And maybe sometimes it'll be every week, but I think in general, I think it'll just be a nice softer option. Um, And I'm super excited for the episode today. I got to talk to a friend, Davina Simmons, and she's a really phenomenal doula and artist. She is a photographer and cooks beautiful food. Uh, I was looking at her website, bornrooted.com, and she just had some really beautiful things to say about her practice as a doula. So I'm just going to read a little bit from that. She says, birth is ceremonial. It's an ancient tradition. It's been done for thousands of years. As some, And sometimes as humans in modern In a modern world, we sterilize and complicate the knowing wisdom of the human body. As your doula, my calling is to create an environment that makes space for you to feel respected, cared for, and witnessed. There's no way to predict how each birth will unfold, but but I am here to bring forth life and thriving no matter where the birth experience takes us. In your presence, you don't need to hold back. My capacity to hold your perceived mess, your fear, is immense. Offering you the gift of my presence in the midst of your vulnerability is my greatest privilege. When we are fully authentic, we are powerful. I would love to be one of your guides to show you just how vast your capacity is. When you work with me, you will be fully supported in your mind, heart, and body. Uh, She also says, I recognize the importance of each person's intersectional identities. My birth and postpartum support extends itself across all identity and cultural expressions. I'm especially passionate about supporting pregnant folks who identify with the following communities in the greater Seattle area. LGBTQ, 
single parents, people of color, people experiencing infertility and loss, birthing persons over 40, incarcerated populations, survivors of sexual abuse and incest, and military spouse populations. And I just love Davina's work, and she does have such an incredible ability to just hold you in where you are. Yeah, there's something really incredible about her presence. So I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation today. Uh, If you find value in the podcast, please feel free to rate, review, share the podcast, and subscribe. And if you want, you could also donate. I set up a Patreon account. It's at patreon.com slash time in the studio. I also switched my Instagram name to time in the studio podcast. So yeah, you can check it out there. You can connect with me on Instagram. I also have a Facebook group and a page so you can connect there as well. Uh, Thank you so much again for listening. And it's such a treat to be here. One last note, I did mark this episode as being explicit because we do get into the nitty gritty of birthing a little bit. And so for people who are a little squeamish, I just want to put it out there. We, it might be a little bit intense. Uh, so yeah, just to let you know, thank you again. Volunteers also carry creative power. They're also used as like a binder or to like secure, secure joined souls. And, you know, and th- just thinking about when you're like in a room with people and like you're sharing that moment together. And I was like, oh, this is, this is good. Oh my God. <laughs> but, Yeah, that is so good. I feel like that's so beautiful. And I can feel how like, I I do feel like joined to you in some way, because I did feel like Mm -hmm. you just like witnessed me like, when I would just like be rocked to my core. I don't know, talking about whatever, like anything that Rochelle talked about in that workshop, I was just like, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. And just like to have make that eye contact with you and have you like, you know, I felt like you just had this presence of, I'm with you. I'm there with you, Mm. you know, and I just feel how you're, you offer that to people around you in this really profound way. Yeah. I just miss that space so much. I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like talking to Rochelle. I was like, oh my God, can you just keep doing this? Keep having a workshop? Because I just felt like there was so many beautiful women in that space that all came together and it just I don't know it felt so perfect and healing and I just want to keep diving into that place with people again I know same same I couldn't get enough beautiful I don't know I haven't read this book yet but I've heard there's a book called if women rose rooted have you read it no, but that sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, that sounds like Davina's business name. If women rose, oh. like, and I guess it's tapping into like ancestral healing and oh my the birth process. And yeah, just women being like strong, awesome humans and like lifting oh, each other up. That sounds amazing. I know. I'm like, why have I not read this yet? What am I waiting for? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, so let's just dive in and we'll see where everything goes. Yay, can't wait. I am so honored and delighted to have on the show today, Davina Simmons. She is a phenomenal doula living in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, Washington. And I had 
the honor of meeting her when we were doing a postpartum birth professional training program through Ainit Traditions in New Mexico, offered through Rochelle Garcia Saliga, and she was an amazing teacher. And it was just so fun to sit in that space with you and learn from you and hear your stories. And I just, yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Davina. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share this time and dig into some good stuff. Yeah. Me too. Awesome. So you have an amazing website and Instagram presence. Will you tell us what, how do we find you? Absolutely. Um, my website is bornrooted.com and my Instagram is rootedbirthdoula. My business name is Rooted Birth Doula Services. And when I was actually, funny story, creating my business, I looked up the name to see if anyone else had it and saw that a doula service in Canada had the same name. So I emailed them and I said, hey, I'm really enjoying this name and my creative process. And I was hoping that you would be willing to share it with me. You're in Canada and I'm here in the States. What do you think? And they were so gracious and um, agreed to let me create my business under that name. And it just felt really, really right. And I love you know, switching from Born Rooted as my website to Rooted Birth Doula. So that's where people can find me. I love that. Where did that yeah. come from? Because I just feel like there's so much power in it. And it's so beautiful. Just the imagery of that is really beautiful. Yeah. So during my doula training in San Francisco, California, I was in class one day and just kind of thinking about what my business name would be. And I've always had an affinity for trees. I've always mm. had a great respect for trees. And so I yeah, I just started kind of writing down different names and thinking of different elements. And I have a really, really good friend um, who helped me with my branding. And she told me to do this exercise where you write down five things that you really want your business to encompass. And, mm. you know, I think my passion for, for birth work is that babies are born feeling secure and babies are born mm. feeling safe and that mothers are you know, born during their birth process, that mothers are born feeling safe and secure. And, you know, and I also want to say birthing persons to people who don't identify as mothers, but who have babies, um, that they are born feeling, feeling a sense of connectedness. And the only thing that really encompassed that for me was a tree. And so, and tree roots. And I think that it just made sense. And I just started writing rooted and roots and it just came after that. It was just kind of like, oh, here it is. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Oh my God. I yeah, love thank you. I can see how, so I have never attended a birth. I really want to, and it seems like a magical ceremonial space. But from what I've heard, when a baby is born and the placenta comes out, oftentimes it kind of looks like a tree too. Like we'll say it looks like the tree of life that, that the child is connected to. Yeah. Every single placenta that I've ever seen has on one side, so there's the maternal side of the placenta and then there's the other side of the placenta that has lots of veins and mm. where you see all the blood kind of going through. And it's really great because oftentimes at a birth, if they take the placenta, when they take the placenta out, the practitioner, either the OB or the midwife will let you kind of 
inspect it with them. And so Mm -hmm. they'll just kind of explain it to the parents and show the parents if they want to see it. I geek out every single time I see a placenta and um, I do placenta encapsulation. And so when I get to bring it, you know, to my workspace and, and process it, I think there's, there's a moment of really great reverence for this placenta that has, you know, grown this child and protected this child or children. And in different cultural spaces, the placenta signifies, you know, kind of that twin spirit of the baby or the protector of the baby. Some even say it can be seen as the the dead twin of the baby. And so different people have different practices around how they revere the placenta and how they bless and thank the placenta. But uh, back to your statement, yes, there are veins that often look like tree roots. And I don't, I don't take that lightly. (laughs) I don't know how you could explain it away as anything else. And I mean, you even think about the veins that run through the human body and how they're protected and how these veins are alive and they're, you know, like pulsating. And you think about tree roots and how tree roots can break through concrete. Like, and how they, you know, when they are ready to, they kind of like burst forth. And so I often think about that and with the placenta and how when the placenta, it has to come out and it, you know, it bursts forth and brings forth this like, hey, like, we've got this baby out safely. And here I come like making my, my arrival, my departure from the body. And I just think it's really incredible that we grow this organ as we grow babies. So yeah, all that to say. <laughs> oh my God, Dana, yeah. you need to like write a book. Like everything you say is like poetry. That's so beautiful. Oh. Thinking of, I know it's becoming more and more common for people to leave the placenta attached to the baby with, through the umbilical cord for longer. Have you seen that happening? Yeah. So about that? yeah. So that is called a lotus birth, and oftentimes it is it's another way of engaging in ceremony around the the baby's birth. And so some people will leave the cord attached to the baby and a midwife or whoever will prepare kind of like an herbal blend to put the herbs on top of the placenta because basically the placenta will start to rot. And to keep kind of the the rotting smell away, they may put um, salts and herbs on it just to kind of preserve it and continue the process. But to allow for there not to be this like rotting organ smell. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, all things are beautiful, but like there also are some practicalities here. Right, like Um, the rotting organ smell is not as romantic. Yes, and especially if you have pets in the home, pets go crazy for placenta. And so oftentimes when I'm processing placenta, um, the smell of it, it smells very similar to liver, cooked liver. And so animals, you know, I was doing my placenta encapsulation training and the midwife who was teaching me had a cat and this cat was like just walking around our table, like circling the table, like I know what's up there. Mm. (laughs) And so, yeah, so they put the herbs and the salts on there to preserve it and keep the smell at bay. And then eventually the umbilical cord just kind of shrivels up. And so some people also will do something called cord burning, where they burn the cord while the baby is still attached to it, and they burn it to separate baby from the placenta. And all of these really are just opportunities to honor and thank the placenta and honor the new life that has kind of passed through um, the veil and through to come earthside. And one of the things that I I really love about it is just the significance of waiting to separate the baby from what what its source has been. And so, you know, baby comes out, takes its first 
first breath and is separated from mom and then the placenta separates from mom or birthing person comes out and you know just this moment of of stillness and of slowing down and that you know that's how I see it I think there are a lot of other ways that people you know look at lotus birth but it's just another I think really beautiful practice if you're able to particularly mostly happens at home birth maybe sometimes at birthing centers I imagine hospitals aren't necessarily going to be all for uh, lotus birth (laughs) so um, they'll likely want to be separating the baby from the placenta and that's more again of like the western medicine quote-unquote practicalities so (laughs) interesting yeah I'm curious Mm -hmm. too about encapsulation, some of the pros and cons of that and what, Mm -hmm. I don't don't know if you've ever met Wapio, but I did a doula training with her and she talks about reading the placenta and oftentimes through Mm. the placenta and being with it, she would receive kind of these downloaded messages for the mother to know about the child or for the child to know. Yeah. Do you ever mm-hmm. get messages from the placenta or, yeah, I'd just love to know more about like the encapsulation process and why people may or may not want to do that or what that looks like. Sure. Placenta work is very energetic work if you um, are approaching it that way. When I was being trained to encapsulate placentas, that was one of the things that our midwife told us when she brought the placenta that we were going to be processing. And she made sure that she knew the story of the mother who mm-hmm. had donated this placenta to science. So basically for us to practice on it. And there were a few things that she mentioned before we began processing the placentas. And one of those things was oftentimes you will feel overwhelmed when you're processing mm-hmm. a placenta and not necessarily in a negative way, but oftentimes like there is still energy there. So Whatever this mother birthing person slash placenta experienced through pregnancy while carrying this child, um, that energy is still there. The energy of the experience of childbirth is still there. And so she noted that um, to pay it for us to pay attention to what our digestive tracts were doing while we were processing the placenta and after. And that's all she said. And so like no one was led to a place of knowing what would happen. That's all she said. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed while I was processing it, mostly when I was touching it. So when I was touching it, I remember with glove, even gloved hands, feeling a sense of heaviness. And I think at times feeling a little bit of fear. And then I remember after we processed the placenta, we went upstairs um, while it was dehydrating And we sat down to kind of, you know, compare notes and share. And every single person in the room's stomachs were making noises. Like you could just hear like digestive juices and like Mm -hmm. you could hear like stomachs kind of churning. And I just remember thinking like, what is happening to my stomach? Mm. And the midwife said that's sometimes a common experience that people have is that it like kickstarts digestion for some reason. And Mm. part of that, I would imagine are the hormones that you find in a placenta that are still there. There's lots of hormones still in there. Um, Mm. Oftentimes if there were any, um, you know, pain medications or um, narcotics used, some of those can cross the placenta. And so Um, those are also in there as well. And then you've got these high volumes of blood. Um, So yes, 
I think that, you know, I'm sure that what Wapio said to you definitely resonates with some people who process placentas. I, you know, try to spend a little bit of time with a placenta before I process it. So whether that is just, you know, while I'm, you know, kind of rinsing, rinsing it off initially, um, separating membranes and things like that, I light a candle, I thank the placenta. I bless the placenta because it still has a job to do. So when you process the placenta, obviously you're processing it so that a mother can or a birthing person can consume it again um, mm-hmm. if that's their choice. Some people like to just keep keep it processed and keep it in their freezer for, as a keepsake, but um, you can make it into pills, you can make it into tinctures, and this can, you know, go a long way if you know, and all of this is obviously anecdotal. So I will say that this is all anecdotal. There is research being done. There's not enough research being done. But um, oftentimes people have reported, you know, more milk flow, less postpartum depression or no postpartum depression. People have noted that they've felt more energy. If they're able to take those pills by their three-day hormone crash, um, oftentimes they've reported that you know, it wasn't as overwhelming as it could have been or as they think it could have been. So again, anecdotal. Oftentimes people will also use their placenta pills or tincture and they'll save it for menopause. And so um, they might take it during their menopausal time because um, when you think about, you know, what what um, we learned at innate trainings, at innate traditions is how a person heals during their postpartum time is often going to mimic the experience they have in menopause. Mm-hmm. And so um, thinking about kind of that placenta being able to um, be medicine in those two really integral parts of life, they've often said you can also give placenta pills or tincture to your child on like really overwhelming seasons of life. So mm-hmm. first day of school, like big separation, right? Um, mm-hmm. So moments of stress, like that child can also consume that. So again, this is not something that everyone wants to do. It's not something everybody um, believes in. It's very mm-hmm. anecdotal, but it's ritual. And so mm-hmm. I think that anybody who wants to participate in ritual will find some meaning there and some significance there. So does that answer your question? Oh, yes. That's so beautiful. Okay. I feel like that really just paints a picture and helps me and other listeners just to understand why someone would want to do that. I remember um, Wapio talked about Oftentimes in Chinese medicine, they would take the placenta and burn it down until it became ash. And then they would keep the ash and sprinkle it on, like if they, if the mother and the child were having an argument or something, they would sprinkle it on <laughs> both of their food. And then oftentimes, you yes. know, it was just like reminding them of that connection to each other and helping to have more compassion and grace. And, and you know, again, it, Perhaps it's anecdotal, but it's also like, well, it's worth trying, you know, if you want. (laughs) Definitely. And I think like, yeah, there's this as as a postpartum body, there is so much loss and so much grieving that Mm -hmm. anything that can be introduced into into the body or into that space that postpartum space as ritual or as practice or is an honoring and it's, mm-hmm. it's an honoring. It's a blessing. It's a, it's, you know, I think it's so important sometimes just for someone to feel like something is being given back to them as mm-hmm. something has been taken away or as, 
you know, a different life space is coming in and they're integrating into that. So, you know, just like we, we learned in our postpartum training, integration and honoring and witnessing is just so critical during that time. And so placenta medicine can be that. And it doesn't even have to be a processed placenta. Like mm-hmm. it can be burying a placenta. It can be floating a placenta down a river if you are able to do that. <laughs> um, it can be, it can be any of those things that just in that moment, it gives thanks and gives honor to this life stage. And I love that. And I feel like, you know, for people who don't have that experience or it's not accessible to them for any reason, I feel like just even that presence of, you know, sometimes sharing their birth story or, yeah, like your presence is just so healing. It has that same kind of medicine of witnessing and being compassionate and. I'd love to hear more a little bit about how you hold space for people and what that's like being there for people through the, you know, before birth, during the birth, after the birth, what it's like being in that role. That's such a good question. I I think that oftentimes people need to feel witnessed in 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 large life spaces large and small but mm-hmm. there oftentimes needs to be a container created for um, folks who are um, moving into the birthing space and who are going to be giving birth and if if this applies if they have a partner for their partner to also be in that container and so I I really try to hold space from the beginning so even from my my interview with potential clients um, I'm very honest about my beliefs around birth and I and how I believe that birth is a very spiritual experience and that I really deeply revere and respect the birth space. And some of this goes back to the women in my own family not having been able to have experiences like that in the birth space and, and then some of them having been able to. And so wanting to provide what the women in my family did not have. And, you know, I think one of the things about doula care is that folks believe that doula care or look at it as a luxury. They look at it as, oh, you get to have someone be there for you to like get you water and put a cold towel on your head. And doula care is so much more than that. Um, It is such a spiritual, you know, component to birth. And so prenatally, I, I talk a lot with my clients about their fears in in birth and thinking about their fears in parenthood, especially for um, my clients of color, talking about kind of how in birth, oftentimes, like you're you're healing trauma. Mm -hmm. And for folks of color who are in marginalized communities, um, this is ancestral trauma that is often being healed. And this is not to say, again, that white identifying people don't have trauma, because they do. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking specifically, you know, about people in my own community, which is the Black community, um, childbirth looked very different when you were a slave. And um, childbirth was attended to by your community. And, you know, you weren't having a baby in a house, you were having a baby in a shack. And you weren't being able, you might not have been able to have access to um, fortifying nutrition and you were eating whatever was left from, you know, your your owner's home. And so um, I really tried to like integrate care 
and and truth and realities of moving into the parenting space. And so one of the ways that I hold space prenatally is we I ask a lot of hard questions to my clients. And so we spend usually four hours together, two separate meetings, and I ask questions like, how do you make decisions together? What are you like in stressful situations? You know, think about how you were parented or how you weren't parented and how this may have be coming up for you as you're anticipating this birth. And what are you going to do with that? Like, are you going to stuff that away like you have been? And because it's going to keep coming up and it's going to impact how you parent. So be thinking about that now and be thinking about how you're going to basically like work work out your stuff and take care of your stuff so that your stuff doesn't become your child's stuff. And obviously we're not perfect people. So, um, you know, we, we, we'll make mistakes and that's okay. But I think giving, giving people um, the best support that they can have as they move into parenthood is, is my goal. And I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. I have a dog. Um, so, um, I obviously am also, I try my best to speak from a place that isn't biased. That is, is very, um, you know, I don't, I don't put my experiences on people because I don't have childbirth or parenting experiences to put on people. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I really value that I'm in this space where I'm not, I I don't have my own like opinions or my own experiences to draw from. Mm -hmm. And so I really just ask direct questions and give these questions to them to answer together um, or to answer in their community if they don't have a partner. So in the birth space, you know, support really looks like emotional, informational and physical support. So emotional support, affirming decisions that they make that they might have to make about how they're going to have their baby um, Mm -hmm. when interventions might need be necessary or they're not necessary, but they still have to say yes or no. Um, giving them the information that they need for the risks and the benefits to any procedures or to any, you know, any decisions that they're making, helping them have fully informed decisions made. And also, you know, communicating with their care team. So if we're in a hospital or in a birth center, being able to communicate with the care team and help bridge that gap between care provider language and then common day language. Mm-hmm. And I think also serving as an advocate, oftentimes mm-hmm. different folks who have different identities are treated different ways in the hospital spaces mm-hmm. um, and even in birth center spaces because we all carry bias. Um, mm-hmm. All of us have bias and that, that comes into the birth space with us. And yeah. so making sure that care is consistent across the board and that one person isn't being treated one way while another person is being treated another way just because of their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be their, their racial identity, their sexual orientation, their gender, their gender identity and gender expression, whatever that might look like. I want all of the families that I serve to have consistent care. And being someone who is familiar with the birth space and is well-versed in the birth space and understands how things should be working in the birth space, it's really helpful to have someone who can say, why don't you ask the care provider this question and this question? Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not hearing certain things that need to be communicated to you right now. Or like, I think that there's more, more to that answer that they gave you. And I think we just need to figure out how to communicate. And as a doula, my job is not to agitate the care providers. It's not to um, mm-hmm. be an instigator or say that the care provider is not doing their job. It's really to also assist the care provider in, you know, sometimes they're busy and they forget things mm-hmm. and, you know, they have a, they have a big job. And so mm-hmm. being able to say like, I'm on the same team with you. I'm here to care for the client just as you are in our own scopes. But also like there are some things that are very similar here. And that is 
you know, while they say healthy baby, healthy birthing person, why not thriving baby, thriving birthing person? Ooh, yeah. um, and, you know, and, and that was something that we learned in, in, in eight traditions was, mm-hmm. you know, the healthy baby, as I say, healthy mama, but I say healthy birthing person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just about being healthy because like, what does healthy mean? Like mm-hmm. healthy might mean good vitals. You can go home, but like, what about emotionally? Like, mm-hmm. are you healthy? Like, what about, you know, feeling prepared and feeling like you were respected and um, well-revered during your birthing process? Because that will stay with you. It's not just about your blood pressure looks great. The baby's oxygen is great. Baby's blood pressure. I mean, baby's pulse looks great. Like those, those things matter, but it's so much deeper than that. Um, And so in the birthing space, I really do try to basically kind of observe it all and Mm -hmm. and keep the space hold the space hold the energy in the space for people who are you know having a certain birthing experience and then it turns into having a a cesarean or a surgical birth Mm -hmm. um I'm allowed to go into the operating room and so sometimes it's just going in and telling both you know the birthing person and their partner that things are going to be okay and like Mm -hmm. you know for the birthing partner keep talking to your person keep them looking at you, keep their eyes engaged with you. And then when that baby comes out, you go describe what that baby looks like to them. You tell them that that baby Mm -hmm. has all 10 fingers and all 10 toes. Mm -hmm. And you talk to that baby, you tell that baby, welcome to the world, happy birthday, you're safe. And so um, being able to facilitate really meaningful moments and moments that can be really scary um, is also such an honor to do. So um, I could, I could keep going, but um, I think that's kind of the, the general, <laughs> the general support that I try to offer. And then, you know, the postpartum space, and that is also very loaded. And um, you're coming out of a birth that could have been um, really magical and really empowering, um, or a birth that could have been really, really traumatic. And so mm-hmm. I try to process those births with my clients. Um, mm-hmm. And in those traumatic births, also reminding them of how they kicked ass and how mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I saw them, you know, like how yeah. you did an amazing job and like things, things went away that we didn't want them to go. But let me hear that. Like, let's talk about that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to say like, oh, but you did a great job. So sorry, it was traumatic. But like, yes, that birth rocked you. Yes, mm-hmm. that birth broke you. Let's talk about it. Let's mm-hmm. talk about like um, how do we how do we hold this and how do we move through this trauma? And mm-hmm. I'm not a licensed therapist. I have a background in counseling, but I'm not a licensed therapist. I and so I'm not taking the space of a therapist. And if I find that my client might need therapeutic care, I will recommend that for them. So I will mm-hmm. say, you know, I think that you might benefit from talking to a therapist and processing this a little bit further. But um, my job is in the postpartum space. I try to meet with my clients um, between day one and day three of coming home, mm-hmm. um, mostly because if my client is trying to um, chest or breastfeed, this can impact milk. And so mm-hmm. if they're traumatized and they're stressed mm-hmm. and their adrenals are going crazy, this can impact how their milk is coming in. And so um, what we don't want is for them to have a traumatic birth and then for everything else to be disrupted. So um, in that postpartum space, I'm really trying to offer the support, offer the witnessing, and then see how we can move them, continue to move them through the beginning stages of parenting. I also love to highlight if there is a birth partner, how the birth partner showed up in that space. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think it's really wonderful. I will oftentimes ask the birthing person 
um, to tell the birthing partner like what they remember about them and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And almost every time I get to witness like these two people looking at each other and crying because they're just like so proud of each other and so thankful for each other. And that continues to kind of fuse the bond of being partners, but now being parents. And, and that like that da dance that they're doing of like, we're partners, but we're also parents. And like, you know, just that building confidence and affirming, affirming their roles and affirming their efforts. And so I also prepare meals and also help with nutrition. So reminding them of good foods to eat, fortifying foods, warming foods. And obviously this looks different in different homes. So some homes don't have access to fortifying food. Some homes don't have access to community and to community care. And so I really try to meet my clients where they're at. Um, and I live in Seattle. I live in a city that is ever growing and it is wealthy. And so mm -hmm. a lot of my clients are on the wealthier side and they get to have access to these things. And then I go in search of doing free to low cost births for clients who can't afford a doula. And then I get to, you know, talk with them about like, what's realistic for you in terms of food? Like, let's talk about like what you eat and how we fortify or supplement that. And again, I am not a nutritionist. I am not a doctor. And so all I know is what I can suggest. And then I say, take this to your care provider, like take this to your care provider, see if this jives with them. Like, and so I think that care providers in Western medicine have different perspectives. Midwives have different perspectives. Um, nutritionists have different perspectives. And so mm -hmm. it's really about who their care team is and how, um, how they're getting that support and how they're getting the help that they need. But the postpartum space just looks different for everyone. Some people have large families to help do all that stuff. Um, some people don't. Some, mm -hmm. some folks who are, you know, single parents and got artificially, you know, inseminated <laughs> have mm -hmm. just, it's just them and they don't have family around or their family's far away. And so I really tailor my care to each client individually and I try to be realistic. And so I'm not going to suggest like herbal tinctures for someone who doesn't live near an apothecary and doesn't have access to that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so it might be like, well, how do we get the food that you are eating? How do we get you those, you know, those different, those different like nutritional benefits from the food that you eat every day without being like, oh, you have this brand new baby. Also, you need to find um, an herbalist or an apothecary to make you a tincture. <laughs> so yeah, they're like, oh, what? In a what? <laughs> yeah. And so, and I don't want to paint this picture that, you know, marginalized communities don't have access to this stuff or that wealthy people have, have access to this stuff because everybody's story is different. And so, again, it's really holistic care and it's really understanding everybody's story, everybody's situation and being thoughtful about that and being um, and honoring that and not suggesting something that is not accessible because that really does interfere with how someone feels like they've been cared for. It's like, do you know me at all? Do you know what I have access to? Um, do you know that like I have no idea what that is or that I, I don't know where to go to get that or I can't afford that? And so it's it's really having to check yourself and check your own biases again and understanding like what your assumptions are about people. I'm sorry, this is such a long answer. No, it's you're amazing. Like Gavin, keep going. Like I'm just like, oh my God, yes. Like I just love how you hold space for people and you really honor where they are at and just your presence just feels so like deeply healing and I wish you could be everyone's doula in the world. I'm curious if you have like 
resources for people that you could suggest or like a book? I don't know. Like, how do people tune into your, what you offer if they can't be with you? Because, oh my God, you're like medicine for the world. Your spirit. (laughs) Oh, I I so appreciate that. You know, I I am it's so interesting. I'm so limited as a human mm-hmm. being, right? And mm-hmm. um as a doula, like we're in this role as um someone who provides care and support and and how that and that stretches us so much. Mm-hmm. It we have to have such a large capacity to give and give and give and yeah. give to people and that's time, it's energy, it's knowledge, it's it's um care. And, and then we have our own individual lives to, to exist in and to be in. And so, you know, doula work was really something I did part-time for about a year. And then earlier this year, my mom passed away and I decided to quit my job that I was working, unhappily working in, in real estate and pursue this work full-time for a time. And I knew that this work was not it was about what I could give people, but it was also about what this work could give to me, which mm. was healing. I really needed healing um, in that time of, of grief. And even in this time of grief now, I really needed something that was just kind of like some, some glue, some sustenance, mm. some something. Mm. And, um, and I found that in this work. And so as I'm moving through this work and continuing to develop myself, I think that while I see myself as a resource, I also lean on other doulas in the community to support mm-hmm. and sustain me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and not every person is a good fit for every doula. And so mm-hmm. uh, that is one of the things too, is, you know, doula work is an energetic exchange. It is, it is constant supporting and holding space for people. And if someone's energy does not necessarily give and feed your energy it might not be a good fit and that's okay Mm -hmm. and so I think that I'm I'm in a season of trying to learn how to not give too much of myself and not Mm -hmm. overextend myself in a role that already asks a lot of me Mm -hmm. um, especially as a full-time doula and so I think that to answer your question, um, people can find me on Instagram. I love, um, I love being on Instagram. I love posting, um, photos from births that I've attended. Um, I really enjoy, um, just like sharing what I'm feeling. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes I'll leave a birth feeling something like, and it just like is sitting at the top of my throat. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes just like, can't, I can't necessarily like speak it and so I write it and that, that's often like times like where I you know write stuff on my Instagram and and I will say this too like different doulas are different have different styles so like some people might say I'm like they'll say like I'm a woo-woo doula so they're like oh you're kind of woo-woo you're like crunchy and I'm like no I'm me like I'm not I'm I'm me and I'm 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 operating in like my own spiritual vessel and vehicle and like and I and I'm this work is is so much deeper than just a job like mm-hmm. it's not a job a job is something you have to do like a vocation is something you want to do and it's something you're called to do and so um I just feel like I'm in my vocational flow but yeah people can find me on Instagram and I often like reference different trainings that I've done that have really spoken to me and and fed me and um energized me and prepared me and equipped me and I that's where I, you'll find me the most yeah. <laughs> and um I'm not the best at posting things, but when I do, I like post like a lot at once and, and, and then I disappear so and hi- hibernate. 
Oh, thank you. I love your posts. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious yeah. about the highlights of the trainings that you've done. Because I know I saw on your website, you've done so many different trainings. And so mm-hmm. and you have a really mm-hmm. background in art and counseling. And I can just hear that in the way that you hold space, like just so mm. much deep compassion and like play and fun combined with like this bright awareness of like what is going on in a room you know like you're just very conscious and good at navigating Mm -hmm. all these different levels of what's happening in a space and so yeah I don't there's like so many places I want to go but I'm just okay (laughs) focusing for this second what are some trainings that you've done that you've really enjoyed that you would suggest to people if they want to do more doula work? Definitely. I I think it's so important if you are wanting to become a doula to find a program that really speaks to you. There are a lot of different doula trainings um, and then there are like some really, really big name doula trainings out there. And I think that that's often very similar. I I used to work in the higher education space. I have a master's degree in, in higher education and I find that like doula trainings are very similar to like degrees and they're like oh I got this degree at Harvard oh I got this this (laughs) dual certification at this place Mm -hmm. and it's like okay but like what but how has that informed your practice and like that's really great that you're you know you have this big name doula certification but like at the end of the day you can still be a crappy doula (laughs) it's like you were just you know like yeah. And that's, that's all with all due respect, like right. you can still be doing doula work that is like soulless. It has no soul in it and it has no life in it. And um, it's very mechanical. And so that's, I'm not like bashing on any doula programs and not shitting on anything. I'm just, I'm from my own perspective. This is what I feel. My, my doula training actually found me. So I had been wanting to do doula training for three years, but was too burned out and too tired. And then I moved to Berkeley, California and was getting a massage and my massage therapist and I were getting to know each other. And I randomly mentioned that I was wanting to be a doula. And she was like, oh, I was going to be doing a doula training and had to drop out of it. Um, You should take my space. You should like look up the program. And so I looked up, right. And so I looked up the program and I was like, oh my gosh, like, this program was founded by um, a mother who was a midwife and a daughter who was a doula that was also the daughter was like um, just starting nursing school or in nursing school. And I was and the trainings were done in the living room of their home. And oh, cool. to me, that that was like, oh, this is speaking to me already. Like this is yeah. this is done in the home. It's done. Um, it feels reasonable and financially it was accessible for me. So as a woman of color and as someone who works in education, like I'm not, I was not rich. I was not, and I was not on a dual income. I didn't have like a spouse who could supplement my, my training for me. And so it was me, it was on my own. So I went to Cornerstone Doula Trainings. That's what it's called. And you can find them on Instagram. I believe that their name on Instagram is, their Instagram name is Training Doulas. Yes, oh, it's cool. training doulas on Instagram. But they are they were based in San Francisco at the time. So I did my home birth training through them, my postpartum doula training, the first one, and then my labor doula training. Um, mm-hmm. All of those through them and they were separate trainings, but I did them in about a month and a half. I my life was changed. I I mean, they they not only talked about, you know, the importance of doula care from just a general perspective, but also from like a world changing perspective. Like mm-hmm. they talk about it as like 
the way that someone is born impacts their future. The way that someone is born impacts the future of their parents. The way that someone is born impacts the future. And so um, you think about how someone is born and how if it's a, if it's a, a healing, healthy experience, um, they are healing as parents and they are healthy parents. This child is then a healthy child that goes into this community and provides vitality for this community and the cause and effect of that. And then you have births that can be traumatic. And that's not to say that a traumatic birth produces a bad person, but there's just, there are things that can come up later in life for that child that are unexplainable that are. And, and if, if a parent is disconnected from that experience, there are no, there's no ability to draw connections back to birth. And so I think that that was one of the things that stood out to me the most in my training with, with Cornerstone doula trainings and, and just how critical and crucial this job is. And also the one thing I really appreciated about this training was that they always said, don't get a big head when a client says I couldn't have done this without you because they could have done it without you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, that was one of the things I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Because I think that this, this job can inflate an ego if, if that is how someone operates. And really what you did was you held space for someone mm-hmm. and you, you chose to do that and they hired you to do that. But like there, there's such a gift in that and they could mm-hmm. have done it without you. They're capable. You just were able to remind them of their capability. So I think that was another thing that just helped me feel more affirmed in the training I was receiving. I also did my placenta encapsulation training through them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now based in Portland, Oregon, but they still have classes in the oh, Bay Area and they also have classes in in Portland. And I think they do online trainings too. The oh, other thing cool. I would say in terms of, of trainings is that mm-hmm. I know that not all trainings are accessible if you find a program and you really want to go to it, but it's like across the country. They do online trainings. I would say that there are certain trainings I think you should try to find in person if you can. Mm-hmm. I know that for some folks who are in like rural areas or, you know, just it's harder to get somewhere. It's not possible and online trainings are an incredible tool to be able to have that. But there is something about doing in-person trainings and touching a body and understanding how touch um, is such a big part of doula work in terms of comfort measures and providing comfort. So I would say that about that. But those are the trainings I that would like to highlight. And then the last one is the innate postpartum care um, mm. provider training that we did together. Yes. Um, yeah, that was something that also found me and through a person who reached out to me and talked about the training. And I was like, I have to go. And knowing it was in New Mexico, I, I was like, I really have to go. I've never <laughs> been in New Mexico. has always been on my list. And I think that the the impact of this training that it had on me was it, it did some healing for me on a personal level mm-hmm. and it really kind of breathed life back into my practice as a doula and it helped me understand and, and get the language for um, the energetics that are so incorporated in the work that we do as doulas and as postpartum care providers mm-hmm. um, in general and the weight of how important postpartum care is. And I think mm-hmm. postpartum care to me a year ago was like, oh, it's not really my thing, but now it's my thing. Um, mm-hmm. Now I, I love it. And I think postpartum care is arguably just as important as birth um, care wow. and birth work. And so, yeah, I think that the retreat style of this training that we had where it was, it was a five day retreat. So it was an intensive training, but we also had space to rest, to eat together um, and to, to play together mm-hmm. uh, was, was so wonderful. And just being in a room with, with such beautiful, big, soft energy mm-hmm. um, was, 
just so life-giving to me in a season of grief that I was in earlier this mm-hmm. year. So um, I would highly, highly, highly recommend um, the innate postpartum care <sighs> training. Um, if you can do it in person, great. If you can do the retreat, great. But if, if you are only able to do it online, you will still be so, so, so um, well-kept and well-held. Yeah. Oh my God. It brings yeah. tears to my eyes just thinking back on that <laughs> circle of amazing women and just the songs that Shanika shared and just, I, yeah, mm-hmm. just all being together and like crying so much and just always you meeting my gaze and just having that <laughs> compassionate, like, I'm here with you. Like, I get it. And yeah, yeah. It was like such a powerful time. Hearing about, how Rochelle talked about her, the tradition of like telling your birth story to your child on their birthday and mm, how that can yeah. be really healing and grounding. And it's funny, I just got to hang out with my mom recently. My grandmother passed and it brought like our whole family together. And mm. it was really so interesting. And I was able to I asked my mom, I was like, tell me about when I was born. <laughs> I was like, tell me a little bit more oh, about Oh, I love it. And it's just like so, <laughs> yeah. so healing and so fun just to hear that. And I wish that she had mm. had that with her mom. But, but it was amazing yeah. to have that experience of us all coming together. And I know you've touched on this a little bit, just the, the way that birth can bring up ancestral wounds and I feel like that is so I can just like feel that it's really interesting I just did this ancestral healing workshop with Mm -hmm. teacher Rachel Weiss and she it's just cool to look back through our lineage and like try to heal and repair those those pains and I think there is such a magic in having births where we get to feel empowered and witnessed and have what we want to have in the space and I love that you're offering that for people and oh I also wanted to touch on your photography because I feel like that is such a way of honoring people and witnessing them and giving them a reflection of that time too and Hmm. you have to be of like I wouldn't want just anyone at my birth taking photos like I feel like that's such an interesting (laughs) Okay, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your photography and how you weave that into your doula work too, because your photos are just breathtaking and so powerful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so when I was in grad school eight, seven or eight years ago, I was given a camera by a family friend, and she it was a really nice camera, and she she had it, and she was like, "I'll sell it to you." because she knew I liked taking pictures. And I said, mm-hmm. well, how much will you sell it to me for? That's a really nice camera. Mm-hmm. And she said, however much you want to pay me for it. And so mm-hmm. in my like, I was like, oh my gosh. And it was really, really incredible. And so I bought this camera from her and started taking pictures and started to realize that it was something that was like really feeding me and mm-hmm. uh, was an, a, an outlet for me. And so then I started doing um, I started taking pictures of my friends and making them my test subjects and then started taking um, engagement photos, graduation photos, and then I moved into mm-hmm. weddings for a little bit. Oh, cool. um, and 
Yeah, and it kind of helped me pay a little bit of my way through grad school. And then um, some of it was also just continuing to do something that brought me joy. And then I stopped. I stopped taking pictures when I moved after grad school. But in the birthing space, I honestly, most of my pictures, if not all of them, are used with my iPhone. And um, I, yeah, I've I've found that I've wanted to get more into birth photography with my camera, but I've as a doula, there's only so much that you can be doing while you're like holding a thigh and they're right. pushing. And so <laughs> I, um, I will shout, I want to give a shout out to um, Athleta. They're a, a clothing company, but they make yoga pants with pockets. Mm. And so I'm able to keep my phone in my pocket so that if I have a thigh in one hand, I can grab my phone and take a picture with the other and oh, not have nice. to like go across the room to get my phone. And so um, I think that's, been it's just something that actually this summer when I was moving into a lot of births I was taking pictures of my clients you know while they were laboring because I was like oh that's a really beautiful moment and that's my photographer brain from from college and so I started to just take more and more pictures I tried my best to get pictures as baby was coming out and then when I do my postpartum care with my clients I show them the pictures from their birth. Most of the time, they don't even know that I'm taking them. And so that's one of my favorite things is to show them these pictures while we're processing their birth, because sometimes it really helps them connect to the moment. Mm -hmm. If they were like, they forgot about something or they forgot something happened. And so I, I really try to highlight for them, like, here was a really beautiful moment from your, from your labor, or here was a beautiful moment between you and your partner during your birthing time. And it is, it's, so special and it's such a wonderful gift to give them and I have had in the last month I was at a birth that was just magical and and Mm. it was hard and it was long but it was magical and Mm. um, there were moments in time where it felt like time was almost like bending where Mm. it was like and the way my clients and I describe it to each other is like to find those moments where things will never be the same after that Mm. moment passes and so we were I was taking pictures in some of those moments that I thought like oh they might want to remember this or they might want to see this and I shared those pictures with them and I just remember the dad being so moved and like the mom being like you took a picture of that and there was one photo I took where the mom was pushing and it was her very last push so she's pushing and the dad's face is like in the upper part of the photo and he's like crying because he can see the baby coming out and you can't see the baby in the photo but you just see them and like the two very different energies and I just it's my favorite picture. Like it's my favorite. Um, and so I think it's also a, a beautiful reminder for me of like the sacredness of this work that I get to do. Mm-hmm. And I always ask permission before I share them on Instagram because some photos are like very explicit, you know, mm-hmm. as, as Instagram would define it explicit, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but like also, you know, I want to make sure that someone's okay before I share a really, really sacred moment. But yeah, so I, I use my iPhone and sometimes I'll use a parent's camera if they have it, but I have not brought my own camera into the space yet. And I think I I will probably only do that if I'm just a birth photographer. So if I just go in as a birth photographer and not as a doula, because I think my primary role is the doula. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to sacrifice someone's support for getting a shot. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. That could be cool to collaborate, I guess, for people who do have the resources to have a doula and a photographer. I mean, you would be the ideal. Yeah. Be that extra 
layer of support and just mm-hmm. your wisdom and understanding of birth to have that there. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Incredible. <laughs> you reading through your testimonials. I was just like crying your testimonials on your website. Oh. Like so touching and so beautiful. And I could just, I could just see how you hold space for people and help couples come together. And I love that you do ask these difficult questions and kind of like dig in and help people to understand their own trauma. And I think it's not just with the mothers, but it's with the fathers too. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, just like maybe a couple good questions people could ask themselves in if they're going into that space with each other, like what should people kind of, what are some things they could ask themselves as, as they're stepping forward as parents? That's a really good question. Um, and I, I, really, I really believe that parenthood really is the moment where you're looking into a mirror like the mm. most in life. And, and, and that's, that's from conversations I had with my mother before she passed. And it's from my own experiences with my father, who I don't have, you know, a very strong relationship with, but I understand that there were things he just didn't get as a father that he couldn't give to me. And so like, even in that brokenness, even in that, you know, that difficulty, I understand. And so one of the things that I think parents should be asking each other is, or talking to each other about is, how were you parented and how weren't you parented and how has that brought you to where you are today? Because, you know, and, and have you forgiven your parents for that? Have you, and maybe not even forgiven them, but have you, have you acknowledged that that is, that it is what it is and that you want to move forward in your own way, in your own agency and your and operating in your own space and not operating out of, I don't want to be this for my child because I was this or you know I I think it's just so important to acknowledge where we are as people because of our parents and so um, I think that's one thing and I think another thing is you know just I I think it's so important to continue to just communicate with each other Mm -hmm. and and continuing to say to give each other permission to be honest and so sometimes in my postpartum uh, meetings with parents before baby is here we talk about postpartum in one of our sessions And I say, can you give each other permission to be honest and, you know, one day say like, I resent this baby today Mm -hmm. and to say, what have we done? (laughs) Or Mm -hmm. to say, um, I I don't want to be a parent today and I love this baby and I love you, but like, I just want to be me today. Mm -hmm. And, and, and to not let that be this thing that is like, oh, that's so taboo. And you've just said the unspeakable, Mm -hmm. but to, to bring like some normalcy to, um, feelings that can often, if not said, isolate and mm-hmm. um, start to wither away at you as a person and as a parent. And so being able to bring those things to light and, and let them breathe and then mm-hmm. let them pass. So I think that those are the things. How are you going to give each other permission? And like, how will you respond to that person who says that when you're trying to soothe this crying baby and they're saying, I'm having a hard time with this crying baby right now. And so how will you move together in, in that way and as partners and, and, and give room for that? So those are the things I, I would say. I love that. It's so profound. I can yeah. see in a lot of the testimonials, just kind of people reflecting on how your presence helped their relationship with each other and with the child, like mm. just how you kind of acted as this like 
investigator, like, oh, let's, let's like have more curiosity about each other and like really get to know each other instead of like pretending, you know, things you don't know. I don't know. There was one that was so funny. She, she said she doesn't even want to have another kid again, but she would just so that you could be there. (laughs) Something to that extent. I just thought that was so cute. I was like, yeah, I don't even want a kid, but like if I did, I would like want you to be there. Like, cause I just feel like you have such an amazing presence. Do you have, um, (laughs) do you have any, like, what would you suggest for beginning doulas? Any tips or strategies? Yeah. For beginning doulas, I would definitely say meet up and, and have coffee with a few doulas who are, who have been, been doulas for a while. So mm-hmm. seasoned doulas, doulas mm-hmm. who have done maybe over 30 to 40 births, because I think that when you can have those kind of informational interviews with them and ask them like, what would you tell a new doula? Mm-hmm. You're going to get such a vast, um, a vast like pot of knowledge from different mm-hmm. practicing doulas who live different kinds of lives. Like mm-hmm. meet with a doula who is doesn't have a partner. Meet with a doula who has a family. Meet with a doula like meet with doulas in different stages of life mm-hmm. because doula work looks so different. You can give differently. You can um, show up differently, and things feel different. And so I think having some informational interviews and and connecting with your community of doulas in your area is a really great place to start as you're going through your training because I I remember having coffee with a doula when I was still in my training and hadn't attended a birth yet. And it was just hearing how she felt her sentiments about doula work and in a space where she had just come from a birth and she was tired, but she was Mm -hmm. like, I'm exhausted. This is really good work. Um, I'm happy to meet you here, but like, I'm really tired. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, that, that could be my life. Like mm-hmm. that could be my life where, you know, you still, you come from a 30 hour birth and then you get some, a few hours of rest or several hours of rest. And then you have life to live if you have mm-hmm. kids or if you have a partner. So I think talking to other doulas is really important. I, different people say different things about this. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's great to do a free birth. I think some programs require you to do um, a certain amount of free births before you start charging. The program I did, because we were in San Francisco, they were like, you have the knowledge, don't take free births mm-hmm. um, because you're working. You're spending time away from your family. Like this shouldn't be sacrificial because dual work is already sacrificial in so many ways. I, I did one free birth because I just felt like that was, it was comfortable for me because mm-hmm. I in some ways felt equipped with the knowledge, but had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I did a free birth for my first birth and it was really great. And then it was also really hard and it helped me think about it in the terms of this was really hard. Would I be okay being paid for this? Like, Mm -hmm. would this be, would this still be hard if I were paid for it or would it be hard in general? Like, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so I think it's just good perspective to have because like, if you're going to make this your profession, it's really hard to be a full-time doula. And Mm -hmm. so thinking about like how you want to be a doula, do you want to be a doula for your family and friends, which is another podcast episode? Um, (laughs) Do you want to, (laughs) um, do you want to be, you know, a doula who does free birth? Do you want to be a doula who's full-time and you get paid? So um, and, and there's so many other ways to do that. But I, I just really think it's important to, to information gather and, and sit with it and see what, what resonates for you, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, and, and really consider your own identity in this world before you move into doula work. So mm-hmm. for me, as a woman of color, mm-hmm. who already does a lot of emotional labor just to be in the world every day, mm-hmm. um, 
it was really important for me to think about that in the context of serving others and helping others mm-hmm. um, and making sure that like my rate matched my work and mm-hmm. that if I was going to be full time, I wasn't going to be sacrificial in this because it's already taking a lot for me in really beautiful ways, but also like in really hard ways. So that's also something I would consider is just your your own identity in the world and how you show up and um, how do the work rubs up against that. Yeah, I, I'm so curious to hear a little bit more about what that feels like to be a woman of color and how that mm-hmm. exerts emotional, you have to exert extra emotional effort in the world. In yeah, that, you know, yeah. What that looks like. Mm-hmm. Or just um, I think for what it feels like for me is that sometimes when I'm at birth, I think about how, again, like I said in the beginning, people in my family didn't have these experiences. Their experiences were so different or they didn't have access to care for support. And that was also obviously like back in the in the 70s and the 80s when my family were giving birth to my cousins and to myself. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was very, it was very different for them. My mom lost mm-hmm. a child. Um, he mm-hmm. was stillborn. So he, and I, and I wonder every, every time I think about it, I wonder what would it have been like for her to have an advocate in the room? Mm-hmm. Um, what would it have looked like for her to have someone who helped her move through, through labor and birth and, and what were her practitioners doing or not doing? And mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's really important for me and oftentimes to have boundaries as a person of color. I'm treated differently. I, I feel it mm-hmm. oftentimes from, you know, if I'm in a hospital, the way someone walks into a room and doesn't acknowledge me, but acknowledges mm-hmm. everyone else. And, and people might be like, oh, you're just being sensitive. But when you've grown up in a world that already tells you that you are worth less than some people, it changes the way that you experience things. It changes. Um, you think about our historical context of the country that we are in, and yeah. um, it, it changes the way that I operate. And mm-hmm. so I know for me, I will know when I'm done with doula work, when this work is no longer giving to me and it's only taking from me. And Mm -hmm. I think um, I I used to be a career counselor in another Mm -hmm. life. And so I also really, really believe in vocation. I believe Mm in um, work not being a job, but I also recognize that some of us are in communities and in life circumstances where sometimes work is just work and you have to pay the bills and you have to feed mouths and you, you know, you have to provide. But so I recognize even for me, being a full-time doula is a privilege. And I recognize that I'm able to support myself and, and do this work. And so, yeah, I think it's just my experience is that I advocate for clients and sometimes I'm advocating and, and for clients who are white and mm-hmm. how sometimes that makes me feel icky um, mm-hmm. and, and not icky in like a, a bad way, but like mm-hmm. that just the complexity of what that situation even is and mm-hmm. how outside of the birth space, I wonder like, do these clients believe that black lives matter mm-hmm. <laughs> like do these clients would these clients advocate for me in certain spaces with certain people mm-hmm. and so just you know these are thoughts that you have as someone who's on the fringes and on the margins mm-hmm. oftentimes I'm I'm even thinking complex thoughts like that um mm-hmm. after I've been at a birth and again I'm not thinking these things at a birth because I recognize that energy is really crit- like critical and crucial in a space but those things come up for me oftentimes and you know they involve emotional labor and, and mental labor so totally that totally makes sense okay and thank you for okay. <laughs> that and just being able to voice that so eloquently because I feel like yeah there 
you know, there's like really, and I love that you're able to be there for people of so many different experiences and people who identify in so many different ways. And I feel like that's like healing through so many generations and healing through the stratosphere that you're able to be there for so many different people and to honor your experience in that too. And to realize like, you know what, that does trigger like icky feelings and things that are like a little bit uncomfortable and to be able to like have boundaries in that space and like be there for them. And then also like recognize the emotional labor that and the feelings that come up in that realm. Yeah, definitely. You know, on several pages of your website, you really just talk about how everyone deserves to have an advocate in the room and everyone deserves to Mm -hmm. have that emotional support around the birth experience and that you are willing to be there for people regardless of what their means are. And I feel like that's so powerful and beautiful. I'd love to just hear a little bit about that and how that looks stepping into the role of being like a job that supports you. And so one of the things that I've built into my practice is 10% of all profits I receive go into this reserve that I have. um, And it's basically like a savings account and it builds and it builds and it builds. And I'm, it gives me the ability to provide low to free, like free births for people. So low Mm -hmm. cost, to free births for clients who can't afford it. All of my services are on a sliding scale. And so I, I, I give people, here's what, you know, here's what I charge for a birth on a sliding scale, pay what you can. Mm-hmm. And also I am willing to barter and trade services. So I did, I did a birth for a woman who was, she's an acupuncturist. And mm-hmm. so we traded services. And so oh, like cool. I got my self care in and she got her birth support in. And so we, you know, I got some acupuncture for a few months from her at no cost because I did her birth at no cost. And we just kind of, you know, made up that, that agreement. And I have someone that I'm talking to right now who is a photographer and she's offered to take my headshots and take pictures of me at a birth in exchange for, yeah. And so um, I think there are also really creative ways to help because not everybody has an HSA account. Not everybody has benefits. Not everybody, you know, people who are self-employed have to be creative. And yeah. so I think that birth work lends itself to that in that I, I, when I talk to people at interviews, I ask like, what do you do for a living? And um, if they tell me like, hey, we do this and hey, we can't afford the, even the low end on your sliding scale. I talk about, well, what does bartering and trading look like for you? And is that something that's realistic? So I think there are really creative ways Ways. And I learned that in my doula training. So they, you know, were really, really adamant about there. It's not all about money. And like, mm-hmm. you know, think about the things that the insurance you pay for doesn't cover massages, acupuncture, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. And I'm all about the body work. I love body work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, yeah, I get jazzed when, you know, you know, my massage therapist or someone is, is pregnant and I'm like, can I be your doula and can we trade? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the things that I had to be real with myself about is that one where we identify as women, right? Mm -hmm. So like we are, we are automatically socialized to like undervalue what we offer Mm -hmm. and, and, and to also ask for what we want. So when you think about like a sliding scale, the way I've designed mine is even if someone's paid the low end, I would still be okay. Like Mm -hmm. I, 
I wouldn't be like, oh gosh, like I took a hit from that, you know? And so I think being realistic with your sliding scale is so important because what if you are serving a community where only they can only afford the bottom and are you still going to be okay? Because this, while this is work that you're giving, it shouldn't be sacrificial. It should be able to sustain you. And Mm -hmm. so I was just talking to a doula the other day who's new and she was like, I only have nine births under my belt. And so I'm charging this amount. And it was a really, really low amount. And I said, Hey, didn't you turn a baby at one of your births? And Mm -hmm. she was like, yeah. And I said, you need to charge more. You turned a baby. Like, and obviously for some doulas, they will say like, Oh, that's not in her scope. Like, well, let's just say she made a suggestion to the baby and the baby turns. We'll just put Mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. But she was able to to do this incredible thing that changed the outcome of someone's labor. Mm-hmm. That that is that is incredible. Yeah. Um, and so I think like she helped someone avoid a C section. Like mm-hmm. that's to be able to say that and say I'm charging what I charge because I'm good at what I do and yeah. because I also I am giving to you. I'm giving of my time, my energy, my resources. Like I should be compensated for this. And so I think sometimes people think again, that doulas are a luxury and they're like, why am I paying you this? Well, a doula, a good doula might only be able to take two to three births a month so that she can attend those births. And so she's only making money off of two to three births a month instead of six, which is not realistic, not might not be sustainable if she's a solo doula and not in a partnership, but like really thinking about what you're giving. And like how people, this is an investment. It's not just something you're, it's not money you're just throwing at someone. You're investing in this care. You're Mm -hmm. investing in an herbalist. You're investing in someone who is giving you work from their soul. Mm -hmm. So while people are like, oh, it's soul work and it's it's invaluable. No, like you're a business person and Mm -hmm. you have a life to live. Um, Sorry, I get very passionate about this. No, it's good. I love um, it. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's so important. It's so important to name, name your price and, and to know that if someone, if it doesn't work for someone, it, it shouldn't, it just wasn't supposed to work. And that's okay. Because I think we also get stuck saying yes to people we shouldn't be saying yes to. And that's uh, another episode. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just want to say, like, yes. I don't want people to feel like they have to be a martyr to care for someone else, because mm-hmm. that's not how it's supposed to work. As we're wrapping up, I also just wanted to touch on that idea of boundaries and self-care, the beauty that you took some time to step away and went to Spain and Portugal. Will you tell us just a little bit about that too? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I try as best I can to build in a couple of months in the year to take off. So I, mm-hmm. I just take off completely and it's better for me to leave because I just like will mill around the house if I don't have anything to do because <laughs> I, I love being busy. And so I recently went on a trip with one of my really good friends from grad school and we went to Spain and we went to Portugal for two and a half weeks and we just ate and drank our way through these beautiful old towns and I did a lot of sleeping I did a lot of grieving for my mom I did a lot of thinking about my life and um, just about decisions that I've made in the last two years shifts and transformations and transitions and it was a really really complicated trip it was really beautiful but it was full of emotion that I was like probably trying to get away from. So I will say like the importance of being able to completely disengage from your work and from the normal life Mm -hmm. is not something that everybody has access to. And I understand that for me, 
traveling is very important. No one in my family has been able to travel internationally just because that's been our story. And so I'm trying to break some cycles there. And so seeing the world is something that's not only, you know, that I want to be able to give myself and have access to, but it's also something that I'm trying to integrate into my own ancestral lineage. Mm -hmm. So moving through that and like going, I studied Spanish in college. So going to Spain was also really, it was like kind of closing the loop on something that I had really dug into in college Mm -hmm. and learned and this beautiful language that I knew how to speak, but couldn't speak it in Seattle because Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> so yeah, I I went on that trip with with my buddy and we had a great time and you know, every night we would open up a bottle of wine, talk about the day and then like have a really big life conversation about something or or another and just just time, time away was really good and beautiful. Mm, that is so amazing and so inspiring. What was one of your favorite places that you got to see? The beaches of Portugal. I mean, Portugal people come from all around the world to surf at, in Portugal. And a friend and I rented a car. So we got this tiny little Fiat that was a stick shift. I don't drive stick. And so she <laughs> she drove the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we drove, we would just drive along the coast and we stayed at this like little beach town called Colares. And mm-hmm. it was, our Airbnb was like right on the beach. You could hear the water, you could see it. And the waves were massive. And it was just so powerful to be reminded of of one of water and how water is the source of everything, but Mm -hmm. also just how powerful life changes can be. And I think that Mm -hmm. was something that like the waves, the waves were were talking to me about was just Mm -hmm. the magnitude of powerful change and powerful shift. And so I would say Colares was my favorite. Sintra in Portugal is is very well known. But then Porto in Portugal, in the northern part of Portugal, it's a very, very, very old, old town. And I'm a Harry Potter fan. And so Mm -hmm. the the library there is said to have been JK, um, JK's like source of inspiration um, for like Hogwarts. And Uh so I got to tour that and walk through and buy some stuff. And it was cool. I was a tourist and I loved it. And, Uh and again, like the food, I mean, I just, I remember places by the food I ate and it was incredible. So (laughs) that sounds so magical. As we're wrapping up, is there anything else coming through you want to be sure to share? I think I just want to share again, like to people listening who have maybe family members who are expecting for them to really look for a doula and whether that's a birth doula or a postpartum doula, being having some type of support that is not tied to a family member is just very helpful emotionally and um, for perspective, but also just that built-in support. There are low-cost low, low cost doulas. There are doulas who will do births for free. Doulamatch.com is where I would start if people are looking for doulas in their area. And it gives you, it's like a basically a catalog for doulas, which is wonderful. So, um and for people of color who are listening, there's also the National um, Black Association of Doulas. Um, for someone who might identify as Black, I always like to plug that um, yeah. to find a Black doula in your area. So, yeah, that's that's really all I have. Like, oh. you know, just keep it pushing, keep it positive, and oh. keep it real. <laughs> oh my God, so good. Yeah, you're doing such incredible work in the world. And Thank just, you so much. just a reminder for people, how can they connect with you again? Just your Instagram and your website. How do we? So my website is bornrooted.com. And my Instagram is rootedbirthdoula. And um, you can connect with me there. 
Amazing. Oh my gosh, Davina, thank you so much for your time today. I feel really just honored and enriched to have heard your stories and to, yeah, have heard about your experiences and your ideas. And yeah, you're such a light in this world. So thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much again for listening to Time in the Studio. Please be sure to check out Davina on Instagram at Rooted Birth Doula or check out her beautiful website at bornrooted.com. You can connect with me at Time in the Studio podcast on Instagram or on Facebook as Time in the Studio. Uh, Thank you so much again. I really appreciate all of your love and support and so much love to you all. Take care.